Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, welcome to the Football Writers Podcast. My name's Mike Calvin. I'm joined by Dominic Fifield of The Guardian and Jonathan Northcroft of The Sunday Times. Wembley used to be known as the venue of legends. It was the stately home of English football. Now it's just a glorified B&B. Tottenham have paid their money and taken their chance. Will Wembley ruin their season, Dom? I don't think we can make that judgment quite yet. Um, I don't think they're not going to benefit from the tight atmosphere that, that was whipped up at, at White Hart Lane, very, very obviously. Um, and they, going through last season unbeaten at home, um, and then to lose your first game at Wembley suggests that, that it is going to be a soft underbelly. But the, I think the reality is that Spurs played very well yesterday. Um, they were unlucky to lose the game. If they'd been a bit more ruthless and clinical in front of goal, they would have won it. And then we'd be saying exactly the opposite. Um, until they win regularly at Wembley, this statistic, of, I think it's one in ten now competitive games at Wembley will be trotted out. But I can, I, if they play like they played yesterday um, and the fans generate the atmosphere that they did, it won't be long before that feels more like home. It was interesting that look, Conte, maybe he was on the wind-up, we don't know, but he was basically saying, look, opponents will love playing here. I suppose we'll find out when Burnley turn up next Sunday. <laughs> oh, but Burnley will love a trip to Wembley. Um, that is one of the factors Spurs have got to, to deal with. It's how it's going to inspire the opposition. Um, White Hart Lane was quite an intimidating place, um, so that's gone, and then there's a uh, factor of, of, of this trip to Wembley. I, I think it's a serious problem for them. I, I know it's... There's been a tendency to say, look, it, you know, it can't be a hoodoo. They're a really good team. They'll get over it. But but Spurs have got a particular way of playing. Wembley's the biggest pitch in the country. It's 500 square meters bigger than White Hart Lane. That's that's a lot. It's seven, eight percent bigger, um, and it, it makes all sorts of differences to a team that pushes high up, that presses, um, that likes to play wide. You know, it's, it, it's a meter on either side narrower at White Hart Lane, so you know, that's a metre of extra space on the outside. Um, it's, we, we can't acknowledge that marginal gains are important in sport and then not expect the difference of playing on an 8% bigger pitch mm. to, to not be a factor for Spurs. So I think there's all sorts of things that are going to be a problem for them. Only what I would agree with Dom is that they're a really good team, they played well yesterday, the fans were up for it and they're good enough to overcome it, but there's going to be a period where it's difficult. Mm. It doesn't feel like um, a cup final 
on yesterday's evidence mm. anyway, that not, not least because there are only 3,000 away fans, which is, baffles me. Yeah. I, mean, I, I mean, I think a lot of Premier League clubs would be justified in turning around at Spurs this season saying, well, you're only giving us 5% or whatever it is at, at Wembley, we'll, we'll give you 5% mm. at our home game as well mm. um, and see their allocations go down. Because I think, I think when Spurs, it was announced that Spurs were moving to Wembley, people assumed naturally there'd be a bigger allocation for away supporters at, mm. at the fixtures, and it just simply isn't the case. And it wasn't like a cup final. It was the noise, the deafening noise was from the Spurs fans and the PA system with the drum, which was a mistake. I don't know what they did <laughs> yeah. there. But, but, um, but that's part of the sort of infantilisation of, of, of modern football, isn't it? You know, it's, you know, singing for fans on the pitch and, you know, amplifying a drummer. What's all that about? It's a bit of nonsense, isn't it? I mean, I have to say my heart sunk just slightly when I read about this glorious day at Huddersfield, but that they'd also had clappers, and that's that's great, and you know they worked brilliantly for Leicester, but it's someone else's idea. Leave it, you know. You're Huddersfield, you're in the Premier League. Oh, but Leicester you, weren't you the only team it. that did that. Brighton no. have been doing it as well. It's it's yeah. it's a, a lot of clubs do that, and it's it's so infuriating. Mm. Make your own noise, don't you? Clappers mm. to do it. Yeah, I right. know you got, I know you love Leicester, but I'm sorry. No, <laughs> well, well, welcome by the way to the latest edition of Grumpy Old Men. <laughs> sorry, uh, sorry, sorry. Uh, it's great noise. Chelsea, <laughs> the Dom. It's a club you know well. Yeah. Um, they had a poor start last season, recovered spectacularly. Are we guilty of rushing to conclusions about them this season? Well, they didn't have a poor start last season. They actually won their first two games. Um, they, are we rushing to conclusions? No, we're not. We're not jumping to conclusions because the, the squad is flimsier than it was last year. Um, and that is self-inflicted. Um, OK, Costa, I think, Costa decision was taken in January. It's becoming a bit tiresome now, his, his um, bleating from Brazil um, over that. He, he knew he was going to be leaving that club way back. Um, but the other decisions, the Matic decision, mm. still baffles me. Mm. Chaloba, Loftus-Cheek. Loftus-Cheek's been Crystal Palace's best player by a country mile so far this season. It doesn't say a lot, I know, but, but he, he looks a proper player. Um, and you could say they would offer depth to the squad, to the to the bench, with a Champions League campaign ahead, and as it is, they're 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 forced into this mad scramble in the in the window over the last ten days. Their first team is still excellent, and that's what we saw yesterday. We saw a manager that was able to to come up with a conjure a tactical system that that worked for the occasion. They didn't play, you know, it wasn't particularly attractive football, but they played on the counter attack and they were rugged and they worked hard and. All the, all the qualities that he praised post-match about spirit and heart, they, they were there in abundance. Mm. And, and their what first about David Luiz in, in midfield? John? Yeah, well, he, I remember Rafa Benitez using Luiz in midfield to very good effect. He's a, he's a terrific footballer. And actually last year, playing as a free man at the back, Conte had already taken away quite a lot of his defensive responsibilities. And, and, and he, you know, he thrives on that. He reads the game really well. He's got great feet. And, when he's not having to, to mark or, or maybe be quite so aware positionally, that's, that, that's a lot better for him. So there's a lot of logic having him in central midfield. And he was, he was fantastic. And if we're to believe that Diego Costa's saga is, is depressing the whole club, well, Luis is one of his mates and he had one of his best games for mm -hmm. Chelsea. So I think a lot's been exaggerated. Dom's spot on about the fact that, that the squad isn't as good as it was. And I think Morata is going to take a long time for he has Costa's impact, for example. But they've still got so much quality and a really good manager. Mm. 62 pros. That's an insane number, isn't it, for Chelsea? 24 or 25 of them now out on loan. 
are they guilty of overlooking in-house talent? And I'll give you an example of it. Andreas Christensen. He's done well in the Bundesliga, played very well at Wembley. Shouldn't they be cherishing talent like that? I think they would argue they are now, <laughs> uh, with Christensen in particular. Christensen's come back from Borussia Mönchengladbach, where he's played a couple of times against Bayern Munich in the Bundesliga. He's played Barcelona, Manchester City, Juventus in the Champions League. And he's been a starter for, for Borussia Mönchengladbach. He wouldn't have been at Chelsea over the last two years. He wouldn't have been in the Champions League last year at Chelsea. So he's come back a, a more rounded, complete player. I still think he's I still think he's actually raw in terms of Premier League football. And I think yesterday was very encouraging with him because his first half performance was shaky. But his second half, he seemed to feed off Aspilicueta and, and David Luiz in midfield as well and, and just grew into the game. And that... that that for Chelsea's very promising. I think they actually rate him privately. I think they rate him higher than Kurt Zuma, who they've mm -hmm. allowed to go to Stoke. On the 62 pros, I think, you know, they've sold £100 million worth of farm players mm -hmm. in, in, over recent years. It's self-sustaining. It's actually probably generating them funds to spend elsewhere at the club. Um, I think they would argue that their academy is the best education um, for those players and then whether they make it in first team senior football at Chelsea or elsewhere that they've been given the platform on which to perform. I don't, I don't agree with what they've done this summer because I think a lot of those players should still be at Chelsea and being in the squad at Chelsea but I think Chelsea probably would argue that it's, it's working for them. They, they won't start bringing those young pros through properly until they have stability in a manager. Until they have a manager who feels he's there for the long term it just won't happen. We, 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 we know the conditions that it takes. We know the examples, and it is all managers. Even Klopp's doing it at Liverpool, but Klopp's got a seven-year contract and feels he walks on water there, so he can do it at Liverpool. But Pep Guardiola, who's this, you know, been this great apostle of, of young players, he's doing the opposite. He's doing exactly what Chelsea have been doing for years. He's, he's buying and he's, he's farming out players. So until Chelsea have a manager who feels he really is there, then... It's, you know, he, he just can't take these risks. But they never will. No, they never that's will. That's it. Yeah. I mean, even Conte coming out at the weekend and saying he wants to be there when, <laughs> when the redeveloped Stamford Bridge is, is opened. But if that was the case, why didn't he sign the four-year yeah. contract taking into 2021? Why, mm. why sign the, the two-year, which was just on unimproved terms? It just sums it up. Mm. It's, it, they managers at Chelsea know their short term. Mm. Mm. If you look at Jose Mourinho, and I know you were at Swansea at the weekend, Johnny, there's the arch-pragmatist. He's in his second season at United, and it does look to me United have been unleashed. It does. It's, it looks like a huge upgrade on last year already. Matic, is, <laughs> it could end up being the pivotal moment of the season. You know, could be a pre-season moment, that, that move. Not because Matic is the world's most amazing footballer, but he's the perfect footballer for a Jose Mourinho team and he's a perfect footballer, it looks like, for, for Paul Pogba to, to, to dovetail with. Um, you've, you've got immense physical power now on that side. You've also got a no-risks sort of policy for, for 75 minutes and then an ability to unleash somebody like Martial. You know, I mean, that, that, that substitution I think we'll see a lot of this year. Um, Rashford tiring out a team and Martial coming on or, or, or the opposite and United going for the kill in the last 15 minutes. It's almost a, like a baseball principle, isn't it? Yeah. You know, where, where you get the closer who comes in at the yeah. ninth inning and he basically secures the win, saves the win. Yeah. Martial has really been 
playing that role to perfection. He's been, yeah, he's been fantastic. And, and Mourinho, it was an interesting point, he, he said he, he's now really integrated among a little French-speaking clique. You've got Lukaku, you've got Pogba, you've got Eric, Eric Bailly, and, and I think he's a, much, he's a much happier character. You can just see that looking at him. Um, and is now, you know, just imagine facing Martial, fresh Martial in the last 15 minutes of a game. It's, it'd be horrendous. Terrific finisher, you know, we know his quality, um, and, and if he's willing to play that role, but then he might alternate it with Rashford. I mean, you, you can look at it all over the pitch. If they re-sign Zlatan, which I expect they will, then you've got someone that can come on in the closing stages for Lukaku if he's not firing. Fellaini will rumble off the bench and, and you know, either offer a, a question going forward or, or help shore them up at the back. Um, it's not always going to be pretty, and I don't think it was, it was it wasn't a very pretty 4-0 win on, on Saturday until the last 10 minutes when they just blitz Swansea. But it's a manager that knows exactly what it takes to, to win this league. Mm. And you've got someone like Ander Herrera, one of their outstanding players last season, not had a sniff yet. Now, I'm sure that will change. But um, that does say that they have got the strongest squad in depth, haven't they? I think City would dispute that. Um, but those two Manchester clubs look in a better place than this time last year, definitely. And United have made the biggest strides um, from, from coming from a lower base, I guess. I still think that um, City's squad overall is probably the, the strongest in the division. Um, but then I would, I'd probably just track in the word of warning that this time last year we were all getting incredibly carried <laughs> away with Pep Guardiola and Manchester City and, and it all was proved completely yeah. misplaced. So. I think United have got a stronger defensive um, selection. You know, Lindelof wasn't playing at the weekend, and he's because of playing well, it allows Mourinho to just integrate him slowly. But Bailly's emerging as a character. There's a yeah. great, there's a great yeah. clip online at the yeah. moment where he's in the dressing room area, and he uh, slaps Zlatan around the back of the head and then kicks him up the backside and runs for the hills. <laughs> it, it, that tells you that there is a little bit of a spark back in that group. They look like they're having fun, don't they? Pogba's got an enormous sense of fun about him. I really like him as a character. Um, and, and there's a youthfulness about them too. It is a big change when you think of that Van Gaal team, which, you know, it was depressing watching them and it looked like it was pretty depressing playing for them as well. And, and they were slow and, and, you know, just seemed very stale. There's a kind of youthful sort of vigour about United now. Um, and there's a good sort of... That's why like Lingard's important. He might not play very much, but he's another piece of glue in the dressing room. Um, so there's a lot of positives. I, I just wonder if they've got enough football at times in central midfield. I'm probably contradicting myself, having complimented Pogba and Matic. In terms of controlling games, possession-wise, I don't see them being able to do that, but maybe Mourinho's not going to want to. Yeah, the impression I get, and you know, having tipped them to win the league right at the start of the season, is that they're definitely going to be very, very strong contenders in the Premier League, but might they be shown as pretenders at the late stages of the Champions League? Yeah, possibly. I mean, they've. I mean, it's got. It's got. They've got the experience there, and Jose Mourinho will will relish um, being back in that competition. And, and I mean, even even when you know things were going horribly wrong at, at Chelsea um, yeah. back in 2015-16, he, he took them through the group stage of the Champions League without many problems at all, really. Um, he, has a, he has that knack in that competition. He knows how to, how to do well and, and indeed win it. Um, so I mean, you, wouldn't, you, wouldn't want, you wouldn't want to be in a group with them. 
Um, and they'll be in a low pot, I imagine, for the yeah. uh, when it comes to the draw this week. So that that's going to be that's going to be fascinating actually, because when when you look at the some of the matchups you could get with with the various pots around Europe, um, Monaco would be in the French mm. in, the, yeah. in the first pot. Paris Saint Germain, Neymar, saw what he did last night mm. against Toulouse, and, and uh, Fellaini will sort him out. <laughs> 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 that would be interesting to watch. Um, but it's it's that that draw, that's mouthwatering, and there's going to be some proper proper matchups in the in the group stage. Mm. Do you expect Liverpool to be in the draw? They'll they'll finish the job against Hoffenheim. Yeah, they will. Um, that by far their best performance, better than the two league performances last week. They'll they'll finish the job, and and I'm excited about seeing a, a Jurgen Klopp Liverpool in, in the Champions League, for sure. Um, I think they need something actually. Just to, they need a bit of a mood changer at Anfield. The Manny's goal and the win helped them, but I still think they need just a bit of magic to happen. Maybe it'll come against Arsenal, but uh, but yeah, they'll, they'll be in Europe. Um, it'll bring all sorts of questions about whether the squad's strong enough. It's already been questioned league-wise, and. and I, I think we know the answer, but that could. I, I would. I, I just that would be my worry. I think Klopp will get the momentum going at Anfield, but in the Champions League, when he rotates, you know, it might might be a slightly weak side. Mm. He did rotate on Saturday, didn't he, against mm -hmm. Palace? Um, Andy Robertson looks to have filled a fairly glaring gap at left back. I'm not going to get carried away on Andy Robertson's performance <laughs> against Palace. I'm afraid Palace's right flank is a, is a mess at the moment, and. Uh, he had freedom of that that wing. I feel your pain, mate. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, look, he's, we all know Andy Robertson's um, qualities as an attacking uh, left back or left wing back. Um, we've seen it. We've seen it with the Scotland national mm. team. We've seen it with Hull City, um, and we saw it on Saturday with Liverpool. But when he, when he's tested defensively, that will be where um, he will, he will be shown up. I fear, and that's where we're going to go back to the same problems with Liverpool because they always get shown up at left back. Yeah, mm. he's played midfield for Scotland. I mean, that Dom's, Dom's right, and, and Moreno has the same mix of you know qualities and deficits. But what was nice was watching a left-footed player crossing the oh, ball absolutely. from the from yeah. the left flank. You know how revolutionary good, football good is. Good balance, things. wasn't it? Like really nice yeah. balance, yeah. brilliant delivery. What's the what's the music with Klopp at the moment, Johnny? Um, you know, he's had a pop at the media, as they always do. Mm. Um, what about? Is there an, uh, an acceptance? Do you think from him that this is a key season? No, um, he's relentlessly positive in terms of the mood around the club. I mean, he, there's a different side to him for sure, but but he's one of those that puts on his, his kind of best self, and and you know that that's the way he manages. Um, I think I don't think he sees it as a key season because I don't think he sees management like that. I think he sees things as, a, as long journeys. He's, he's had seven years at each of his previous clubs and he's got a contract to give him the same at Liverpool. I mentioned earlier, he's one of the few managers that's really interested in development. So, you know, people like Alexander-Arnold really excite him. And I don't think he, he, he buys into, this is a big game, this isn't a big game, this is a big season, this isn't. I think he does take a, a longer term view. And you'll often hear him say that if the, the energy and, and, the, and the play has been good, he's not so bothered about the result. That's brought him criticism at times, because mm. Liverpool are, should be a results-oriented club. But that's not, his, that's not his philosophy, it's not his style. Mm. To that point, Dom, you know, someone's told me that Klopp had a, a pivotal conversation with Shea Ojo, who's just gone on loan mm. to Fulham. 
And his basic question was, do you feel the pain enough? Do you want it enough? And that tells me, beneath it all, beneath the emotional intelligence, the arm round the shoulder, he's still a bit old school. <laughs> well, if he said that, and someone had suggested to me that he'd said something similar to that, um, I'm not... I mean, that is very old school, and I'm not sure that's naturally particularly good, to be honest. I mean, I don't, I'm, I, I don't know where Ojo is as a, as, a, as a player at the moment in his development. I think he was confused as to where his progression was at Liverpool. I don't think he was getting the right messages from the manager as to where um, he was going to fit in um, long-term. And if, if that was Klopp's response, and I actually think that's pretty poor, um, I think that shows a, a lack of understanding of his player. Um, that is an old-school thing. Look, it's, there is an old-school theory out there that you go out and, you, and you, that's how football should be, but I don't think it is these days. And, and I've had, when I did a piece this, this summer with a, with a footballer who'd, who struggled Badly with depression, mm. and that was the message that was being mm. said to him Stephen over Colker. and over again. Yeah, yeah. All, over and over again. That's you talk to him. That's what managers have been saying to him for years. Well, that's not done him any good at all, and it's. I don't think it's very particularly responsible, to be honest. Mm. It's a very emotional world. Give me a pitch of what the emotions will be like when Liverpool play Arsenal, because Arsenal again, once again, mm. are on the edge, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, it's, it, it, it's almost like it doesn't take more than 10 bad minutes to return Arsenal to that almost default state of where are we all going, existential crisis, as Wenger, you know, still got it, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. I mean, it's amazing how quickly they slip back. And I, I, I looked into the season thinking Arsenal were going to do really well. I still think they've got all the tools to do really, really well. Um, do they think that? Do they really think they can... They can win the title or be top two or three because they they can, they should be able to. But how many times have we we questioned their mentality and so on? Um, at the moment, you know, just judging by social media, the fans seem to be determined to not go back to the planes over the stadium. But I wonder how long that peace will hold with a few bad results. Um, it's, I mean, I mean, thank goodness the transfer window is about to shut because mm -hmm. you know Liverpool and Arsenal are two of the quote unquote losers of the transfer window and that's created a negative mood around them. Um, so you know, I think the further they get distance from that, 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 that might that might help. Um, I would say that both clubs are in a, at a point where a, a defeat would, would, would really deflate their bubble and, and of course they go into an international break stewing on, on a bad result. But I think if Arsenal lose in particular it really will be back to you know, tin helmet time. <laughs> yeah. 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 What about you? Know, Mesut Ozil was given terrible stick by, by Steven Gerrard on BT Sport on Saturday night. Did you get what he was... I just think there's, a, there's this frustration with, with Ozil that people expect so much more of a player of his undoubted quality and they expect him to take control of games like that, tight games where Arsenal are enjoying all the ball... Um, and just want to, just need to find that elusive breakthrough, and then, then they'll be home and dry. And 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 he doesn't do it enough. He doesn't he doesn't stamp his authority on on matches of that ilk enough. And there's frustration there, obviously, with the contractual situation. The same with Sanchez. It's it's still there. Uh, it's still a, it's still a concern. And and um, I, I think there's a lack of patience, and understandably, a lack of patience with with Ozil sometimes, just because 
he, we know he can do it. We know. Well, mm. it, but he, you know, he, that was the time. That was the time to produce the Ludigrets moment. You know, I was in. Mm. That, I was at that game last season when he just does something absolutely magical. And you just think, oh, I mean, that game was crying out for that, and it just didn't happen. And when you pay someone that much, and you've won a World Cup, and you <laughs> and you, you've got the talent, you expect the delivery as well. Mm. He should be. He should be one of the great central number yeah. tens in world football. You know, he should, he should be in the middle of the pitch. Meat, though, isn't he? So he is. He, yeah. He, he, exactly. That's a great word for him. He 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 doesn't want to take centre stage and and take charge of mm. of matches. And it is a frustration because he's such an artist when he yeah. when he does. You know, yeah. pr producing those. See, I agree with Dom. There's almost a diffidence about him, and and that's that. All, you can almost say that about the team because yeah. you look for a leader in that team, and I can't see one. Well. The leader, Sanchez. I mean, one of the reasons I think they, they could still have a really good season is they've got Sanchez playing out the last year of his contract, knowing that he's got a big pot of money at the end of it if he can earn his move to PSG or, or whoever it is. And I think he'll give Arsenal even more, actually. Ozil's in the same position. Now, he might give them even less because mm. he might just, I've got a year left, I'm going to drift. That's, that's an imponderable. Um, Mertesacker on the bench, I didn't understand that. You go into Stoke, you know what Stoke are going to provide. And you play two fullbacks in your in your in your back three, and you've got Murtasaka with this character that we saw in the in the FA Cup final. Mm. So that was a strange decision. It's almost like Wenger doesn't prize leadership. Mm. Um, the questions about Wenger, there's only just been a temporary tr truce, isn't there? Yeah. Um, I mean, knee-jerk reaction after that game was, "Oh my word, two more years of this." It's, it's mm. but it's the. I think the. Um, I think the reality is that let's all go to the colour printers and get the Wenger out uh, banners again. <laughs> you know, we, we, but people won't believe it, but as journalists, we sit here thinking, oh, not again, we can't yeah. have this again. But it, but it is the case, unfortunately, it is deja vu. And it's... Look, let's not... It's a defeat at Stoke, and I think it was... Yeah. It actually, yeah. it, was, it was a good performance from, from Stoke in the way yeah. that they played. Which was, they needed. Yeah, exactly. Um, it was a bit old school Stoke as well, wasn't it? Yeah, and, and Arsenal should have had two penalties yeah. and, and, you know, it's absolutely monster possession. I know yeah. it doesn't account for much sometimes, but, you know, it, it wasn't a disastrous performance, but it was just a bit like the Leicester game where you, you, you were getting, you know, echoes of, of the problems about for so mm. many years. Imagine what the move would have been like had Ramsey and Giroud not scored <laughs> against Leicester. Yeah. Um, Does Giroud deserve more chances? Um, well, I think I think he has had those chances. I, I've always liked Olivier Giroud, and I got I got stick on social media for, for saying that once. Um, he does he does score them goals, um, but there's a frustration with Giroud as well. I mean, we saw in stoppage time that was a great mm. opportunity. I mean, it's a great ball, and he's in front of the marker. He just has to guide the header inside the post, and he puts it wide. But they can't keep just sort of relying upon Giroud to get them out of Stuttgart late on. Um, and he did against Leicester. So they're obviously trying at the moment. They're, they're, they're trying to get Lacazette involved. And he's, his start's actually been promising. And he was unlucky with, a, with an offside goal um, at the weekend. Um, I think he'll score them. He'll, he'll get them more goals than Giroud. Yeah. Um, but I do wonder whether there is a possibility of working on some kind of partnership. There. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Mm. One of the features of that game uh, was the performance uh, of Jack Butland. Yeah. Uh, were we watching there England's new number one goalkeeper? Especially when you look at Joe Hart, 
to my mind, is almost bat number four in a pecking order at the moment. I think that's a good point, yeah. I, I think, yes, Jack Butland, is, it's his time now. It was probably his time a year ago, but he was injured. Um, he's, he, he's got fantastic mentality, all the tools physically, and, and that was a big performance. And Pickford has been sensational for Everton so far. He's broken all sorts of records, club records. Um, and then you've got Tom Heaton, who's a... Just a, a, such a not just a good goalkeeper, but a real good egg. And if you're looking for a number three goalkeeper in a squad, he might actually be a better option as a number three than Joe Hart. Mm. So I guess I'm saying on, on form and quality, I'd certainly put the two younger keepers ahead of Hart. And then he's maybe level with Heaton, but Heaton's probably a better number three. Um, and his start, Hart's start at West Ham has not been encouraging. And you know, if Gareth Southgate is serious, that you have to earn your England place. And you know, he's dumped Wayne Rooney because. He was no longer doing it well. Surely he has to apply the same to Joe. Mm. I feel a bit sorry for, for Joe Hart in terms of judging him on his West Ham performances at the moment because he's he's had a the, the centre halves in front of him have been switching both games. They've had different. They lost Winston Reid in the warm up, but Southampton just after he signed a six year contract. <laughs> <laughs> I won't see him again until twenty twenty. Um, <laughs> but the I, I, look, we, he does need to produce. He does need to produce soon. But he does also warrant a bit of time to, to settle into new surroundings. Um, and he needs a bit of support from his teammates, his new teammates. Um, but that said, Butland, Southgate obviously rates Butland huge, very highly. And you can see Butland starting yeah. in the Malta game. Mm. While we're on the subject of England, Johnny, would you pick Wayne Rooney? That's a great question because it's, it's a complicated one. On quality, yeah. Um, I think the I think the the rationale for not picking him would simply be it would be a symbolic thing. It would be to say you need to do more than have a good month at Everton to get back, you know, because Wayne Rooney hungry and, and, and playing like he is, is is a you know what what a weapon that is. But maybe you want to encourage that hunger by by leaving him out a little bit more. But in terms of quality, I've, I mean I'm, I'm a huge Wayne Rooney fan still during the, the last couple of years, and I still think he's one of England's the top English players. You know, you'd pick him ahead of Raheem Sterling, for example, at the moment. Adam Lallana's out. You'd, you'd, you'd probably pick him ahead of Danny Welbeck in terms of reliable mm. output. He's got maturity. England maybe lacked a bit of maturity against Scotland. We've never seen him in a proper partnership with, with Harry Kane. There's a, there's a lot of reasons to do it. As I say, the only reason not to, I think, would be if, if Southgate wanted to just make a little bit of a statement, both to Rooney and, and, and others, that you've really got to earn your, your place here. Mm. It does look likely that Nat Chaloba is going to get a senior call-up. You know, having spoken to Gareth over the, the last year or so, he's been pretty sweet on him. Mm. Um, do you expect that to, to happen? Yeah, wouldn't, that wouldn't surprise me at all. Um, he's, a, he's the player, really, that the FA can point to and say, look, this is a man that was, has progressed through every junior level going. Uh, it's a natural progression into that, into that senior team now that he's found a home and regular senior first-team football in the Premier League. Um, Watford have had a great start, really. Um, excellent first half against Liverpool and a convincing win at Bournemouth. So there's a, there's a justification for picking him. Be interesting to see whether... I mean, presumably he would come in as a defensive midfielder, yeah. um, but he would offer them options, if need be, um, in various other positions in that team as well. Uh, and you'd sort of, if, if his form is maintained over the season, then yeah, he'd definitely be taking him to Russia. England are very thin there, aren't they? I mean, you know, Eric Dyer's the only really yeah. recognised sort of partner for, for Henderson, and 
you know, Jake Livermore, great pro as he is, you know, is he is he, is he really an England player? So uh, there's a vacancy there for, mm. for Chalaba, definitely. Mm. We're almost into now Desperation Alley, you know, last few days before the transfer window closes. Um, are we going to be shocked by anything that happens over the next 10 days or so? I don't think anything has got the capacity to shock us in the same way that, you know, Neymar to PSG or... Um, what, about Messi? what about Messi? No. No. Not a chance. There's been a few rumbles in Spain, aren't there? But... Where are we selling him to? Oh, Man City, I suppose. Mm. <laughs> 250 million to you, sir. Done. <laughs> I, I have a bit of... I have a bit of sympathy. I heard Steve Parrish on the radio the other day, Palace chairman, wondering publicly quite how clubs are complying with financial fair play. <laughs> and he wasn't talking about European clubs, I don't think, in Europe, mm. UEFA's financial fair play, but the, but the sort of in-house Premier League model that, that we're all, all, the, all the Premier League clubs are supposed to adhere to. Um, and and it, just, it just baffles me how... how and it clearly baffles him how they're doing it. But, and uh, if Palace are the only team that's complying with it, then they're doomed, aren't they? Have you heard about Man City's new 400 million sponsorship with a photocopying company oh. from Abu Dhabi? And Watford selling Baron Barami <laughs> to Udinese for 400 million. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. But that's a fact of life these days, yeah. isn't it? You yeah. know, that football clubs now are, are vehicles for entire nations. They are. And, and it's, it's distorted things to the point where I think somebody said on Twitter, we've got the point that clubs have now got so much money that the money's valueless. You know, it's, it, it does feel a little bit like that when Liverpool are holding on to Coutinho, partly because you can't really spend 120 million or you can't be sure of being able to get players of the right quality. They're obsessed with making a big statement. You know, we can't be bullied. We won't be bullied. Yeah, but I, I think that's right. I mean, you, you can't have pretensions to be get Liverpool back to the top of football and, and keep selling your your best players. But, but there is, you know, that statement is also informed by the fact that you just wouldn't be able to bring in players of, the, of similar quality at this point in the market. Um, I think what, what the window has shown is the clubs that did the business early were, were clever because now at this end of it, 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 it it's, it's really, really difficult to spend anything. Mm. So going back to your, your question, I'm, I'm not sure we are going to see anything dramatic. I'm sure Chelsea will do their usual late flurry and mm. Spurs will, but... The really big crazy deals, probably not. Mm. The Chelsea one is a bit of a running sore, isn't it? Lack, lack of recruitment. Yeah, it is. Um, it, it, it was aired again yesterday by Conte, um, and it's it's a sort of all the tension really at Stamford Bridge. He, sh he expected it all to be done in in June, really, or May or June, um, when he was when he was seeing Manchester City splashing their cash on people like Bernardo Silva at the time, and he wanted Chelsea to be doing that and to be building on the, on the title success. But I think they will be active. I think they'll try and bring in at least three. But I think we're into the stage when, where they're looking at people like, like Danny Drinkwater, who, yeah. who uh, is a good player. Um, but by moving to Chelsea, he's effectively saying, I'll be fourth choice at a team competing in the Champions League. Um, and I'm there for the, almost for the home grain. Yeah. Um, numbers, which I don't think is a particularly healthy situation, to be honest. Mm. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. Van Dijk's the one. I think yeah. that if it's going to be a big transfer story, I think Van Dijk might still come out of the freezer and, and, and be a, a story mm. with Chelsea and Liverpool vying yeah. for him. 
Will they sell to Liverpool? Will Southampton sell to Liverpool? Doesn't it look like it, does it? Doesn't. It doesn't. Uh, it depends what the new owner, which I don't know anything about them, really, the new ownership. We're told that they've given the message within the club that policies are unchanged, but we don't really know for sure until it's tested. Mm. But politically, it'd be much easier to sell to Chelsea. And also, we're in an age now where, you know, we, we grew up in journalism of the you know, stories which was the come and get me plea by a player. Now, you've got managers saying, come and get him. <laughs> Tony Pulis, Johnny Evans, I'll sell for an enormous fee. Well, £30 million. Pounds. Yeah. I can see that happening. Yeah, I could see Johnny Evans happening. Partly because, you know, Tony Pulis is, is... He has got a really good relationship with those older players. That, they're all older players at West Brom. But, you know, well, he played a 17-year-old the other day. Yeah. Sign of yeah. the apocalypse, that. Yeah, and then that, Tony, Tony suggested it was a sign of the apocalypse, didn't he? Yeah. yeah. Um, and I don't think that'll be the norm this season. They, I think to be fair to Johnny Evans, and I think he has that relationship with him, he would let him go to, to Man City, which is a, a last chance for Evans to play Champions League and all that sort of stuff. And their centre-backs are so flaky, apart from Vincent Kompany, that you wouldn't be surprised if, if he ended up getting, getting quite a few games, quite a few big games in, in that team. So I think they will let him go, and they've always been a selling club, West Brom. Mm. He was setting that up, wasn't he? Yeah. Well, his, his comments last week were... were... <laughs> We expect Johnny Evans to go eventually, yeah. reading between the lines. And they had a little nibble at uh, Mamadou Sacco, didn't they, at Liverpool? Yeah. It's a strange situation, isn't well, it? Sacco, Sacco, as far as I'm led to believe, only wants to come to London if he, when he leaves Liverpool. But that basically means it's either West Ham or, or Palace. Um, and if neither of those two clubs can raise the funds and, and West Brom have... You know, raise a lot of money through John, Johnny Evans' sale, then then possibly something moves later on in there. But I do think it would be third choice at the moment for Sacco. It's a bizarre situation. He was in mm. Paris yes, uh, today, actually, I think, seeing um, saying goodbye to Blaise Matuidi, who's, who's, who's joined Juventus <laughs> for £18 million. Pounds. I mean, that's like pocket money. Yeah. I mean, well, that tells you everything about the inflation over here, isn't it? The lunacy yeah. of... You know, it's a one-sided inflation here, isn't it? It is, it is. It's, it's, that was almost, you know, Juventus satirising the Premier League, wasn't it? <laughs> I do wonder if there's a Mino Raiola factor in that transfer, by yeah. the way. It's, it, the, the numbers just don't look right for such a good player. Yeah, yeah. Palace don't really want to intrude on private grief. You Frank always De... say that. I know, but <laughs> there's usually grief. <laughs> Frank de Boer, you're playing Liverpool, you have two short corners. Explain the logic of that. There is no logic at all. Um, Palace at the moment are a bit confused as to how they're approaching matches. They, they want to adopt the new philosophy, De Boer's philosophy, possession football, playing it short, fine, okay. I don't think you can I don't think you can have a revolution at a football club of that to that extent by only spending seven point nine million pounds on one player and bringing two other players in on loan. Um, if funds are as tight as has been suggested at, at Palace, that's not the time when you appoint a manager that's going to want to radically change everything. It just doesn't make sense. So I think there's got to be a bit of compromise and a, hopefully the naivety, because it is naivety. Liverpool can't defend set pieces. Yeah. Everybody knows that. Why not fling it in? You've got Palace's best attacking threats. Um, Zaha, when he's fit, Townsend's delivery mm. and Benteke nodding it in and they mm. don't use it. The, the last manager that didn't believe in corners was Roberto Martinez. He, I remember reading a, an article he contributed to 
talking about percentages, you know, some ridiculously low percentage of corners are, are actually scored. So there's a school that you're better not, not taking them. But interesting that there was always a tension between Martinez's football beliefs and Everton's traditions and the appetite that the crowd there have got. And I, I do wonder, um, especially listening to Dom there, that if, if De Boer might have the same tension. Mm. But essentially, he's still got a, a Sam Allardyce squad with a Sam Allardyce mentality, hasn't he? Well, yeah, I mean, he's, he, he, he's basically got almost like a, a, a Tony Poulis Sam Allardyce squad. I mean, when Pardew tried to change things, it, it didn't work. Um, that was in the introduction of Kabai, and, and he was supposed to, to change the whole philosophy. And, uh, look, we can't judge it yet. The reality is that Palace could find money in the last 10 days and bring in players who will suit the style. I actually think that Sacco, in the, the middle of a back three, would actually suit them, because when Sacco's mm. good on the ball, um, certainly when compared to some of the other guys <laughs> at the back at, at the moment. So it, it's too early to, to be panicking, but um, some of it doesn't make sense. Is it too early to welcome Huddersfield into the Premier League? OK, they've won their first two games. Mm. Hull did that last year. But it was the style and also just the spirit of it. Yeah. The yeah. emotional, yeah. his emotionally driven performance yesterday. I, I think we're looking at Bournemouth a couple of years ago. And I must admit, I got it wrong in pre season because I, I think there's usually a team that through that spirit that they'll create in their home stadium, through just being a bigger unit than they are individuals and through a good manager, will we'll, we'll prosper and we won't expect them to. Bournemouth did it under Eddie Howe. I thought it would be Brighton actually. And it might still be, but, but Huddersfield already look like they've, they've got that factor. And they've, they've, they've got nothing at all to lose in the Premier League. They've got a really positive manager. Um, they can enjoy themselves, I think. And this, I think they'll do really well in the early part of the season, certainly. And maybe people will work them out a little bit. Um, They're a mini Liverpool to a degree, aren't they? They, yeah. press, they push the full-backs high, you know, yeah. Gagan pressing. Energy, excitement, you know, crowd roaring them on. I, I love it, and it's a, it's a you know lovely one of the better modern stadiums. Mm. And what a lovely story! Don't need an from. amplified drum there, do you? <laughs> no, no, it says a lot about Wagner though that he's managed to get them to jolt yeah. so quickly, having basically brought an entirely new team virtually yeah, yes, over yeah. the summer. It's uh, that's that is very very impressive and does bode well for their season. Mm. We'll finish it if we may by looking at Newcastle, who they beat yesterday. You know, Rafa's already come out and said, look, we, we're not ready for the Premier League. There's some warning signs there. There are. Um, Rafa's gone on, and he, you know, this is what Rafa does, but he's, he's, he's taken the idea that he's, he's not going to be quiet about the transfer situation, not going to be quiet about Mike Ashley, and he's going to use the, the media and, and, and all that to apply pressure on the owner. Unfortunately, what that's done is created a, a, a vibe of, of negativity and crisis around around the club before they've even started. And it does rather remind me of, of, of David Moyes at Sunderland last year, who was really unhappy at the broken promises that he had, just like Rafa, who's had broken promises. But he was upfront about Sunderland's plight before they'd even started, and, and it was very difficult to, to shake that off. I mean, Rafa's absolutely right that for Newcastle to come up and spend less than Huddersfield and less than Brighton when they've got 52,000 watching them, um, and all the, all the money that's going to come in through, through television and sponsorship, it's ridiculous and it, it says everything about the owner. Whether he's gone about it in a way that's going to benefit the club, I'm not sure. Um, because already 
the no points and, and this can be another week of, of, of politics with the transfer window. It's already it's, it feels like a depressing season for, for Newcastle. Yeah, fans. and when you bring in a Yosselu from Stoke City for what five million, that's not going to be enough, is it? No, clearly not. No. Clearly not going to be enough. But but um, I, I think that there possibly there's an element of he sp he spent a lot of money last last season to get them up. Um, Although they did raise they, money, they took in quite a lot. Yeah, from so Sissoko Sissoko and, that. yeah, yeah. yeah. Townsend. There's yeah. not. It's very hard to be sympathetic with Mike Ashley, isn't it? Let's be honest. Um, I mean, I think with the, the Oslo one again, with the, the, the Moyes parallel, that's that's Rafa with no money, yeah. deciding well, I might as well just get players I know. So yeah. he's got Manquillo, who has failed at two Premier League clubs, but Rafa's rationale is well, at least he's Spanish. I know him, and I can instruct him in, in his native language. He's got Marino who, you know, from, from Dortmund mm -hmm. on loan, again a young Spaniard that he knows. And he's taking Yosselu because he kind of knows him. And that again that's a bit like Moise taking in, you know, Yanazai and everyone that was going spare at, uh, at United and then the old Everton guard and all that sort of stuff. And didn't didn't work for him. Last last season he bought players to get them specifically out of the championship and yeah. it worked. Yeah. This year he's not able to buy players that will yeah. keep them in the Premier League yeah. at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Not known for his great patience, known for his political astuteness. A simple question for both of you to finish, if I may. Do you expect Rafa to see out the season at St James's Park? Not if they don't spend um, a lot of money in the next couple of weeks and with Alan Pardew still available now. <laughs> <laughs> no, you, you won't hang around, not, not, not for too long like this. Here's a scenario for you. West Ham lose patience with Slaven Bilic and Benitez takes up residence in the Brady Dome. Thanks for joining us here on the Football Writers Podcast. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 